Welcome to The Real Church Podcast. Our mission is for you to know the love of Jesus and live out your God-given purpose. Now, join us and listen in to the latest message from Pastor David John Phillips. I don't know if you guys got to, to come last week. Once again, it was absolutely amazing. 16 people gave their life to Jesus, which is a big deal. But I forgot to say, this morning in our first service, four people, four people gave their life to Jesus this morning. It's just a, it's a blessing to be a part of knowing that, man, God is using me, God is using this team, God is using Real Church to impact and to change lives. It's, it's just, I'm thankful. So if you didn't get to make it last week, the, the sermon, the message, you know, it's, the audio's online at realchurch.us on Facebook if you have the chance to watch it. I'm gonna recap a little bit of it. Maybe, maybe you'll remember we talked about, last week, we talked about something is only as valuable as what someone else will pay for it. We went a little deep there. And then we also said that someone is only as valuable as what someone else will pay for it. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, completely God, yet completely man. And Jesus paid his life. He died for you. Therefore, God died for you. Therefore, you are worth the very life of God. You are valuable. You're that valuable. Never put a price tag on yourself or allow someone else to put a price tag on you that's less than what God says you're worth. We also talked about, after that, we talked about the two most important questions a person can ever be asked. I'm not exaggerating. Literally, the two most important questions anybody in this life can ever be asked. The first one is, who do you say that Jesus is? Right, Because Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus himself claimed to be God. He wasn't just a good person or a good prophet or a good teacher. No, no, he claimed to be God. So either he's a lunatic or he is who he says he is. Well, if he is who he says he is, then everything changes. Because that means we give our life to him. We call him our Lord and our Savior Right, And when we do that, we're surrendering. We're saying, what I've been doing hasn't been working. No joy and no peace. I've been looking for it in every situation. I've been trying my best, but there's nothing. I need your life. I give you my life. And God says, okay, I love you. I'll give you mine. And you get his life, and it's amazing. And it's wonderful. The second most important question we talked about is, the first is, who, does Je- who do you say that Jesus is? The second is, who does Jesus say that you are? That's where everything changes, right? So on the first one, when you understand that, you start a relationship with him, and and the inside, you begin to change from the inside out. When you understand your identity, when you understand how he sees you, then everything outside begins to change. You begin to walk and talk with the same love that your Father in heaven has. People see you, and they see Jesus. They see his love. We're going to dig deeper there. We're going to explain exactly what that means. Part of that question was about righteousness, Like, what does that even mean? What is righteousness? Righteousness being right standing with God. And we asked this question, and you want to go back and check it out. We said on a scale of 1 to 10, if it was a righteousness scale, not saying we're supposed to, but if it was, then Jesus would be a perfect 10 because he had no bad in him whatsoever. On a scale of 1 to 10, if like a a, a rapist or a murderer was a 1 or a 2, drug addict a 3, normal people 4, 5, or 6, on a scale of 1 to 10, how righteous are you? Ten. Why? Because if you've given your life to Jesus, 
then he's not counting your righteousness because your righteousness is nothing because he's perfect. If you've given your life to Jesus, then he's taken your junk and he's given you his goodness. He's given you his righteousness. So when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees you as a 10. All of your sin, all of your past, all of your junk, all of your pain, completely separated as far as the east is from the west. And he sees counted, credited to your account, the righteousness of Jesus. In him, you're a 10. So what right do you have to count yourself as anything less if you're in Christ? None. Zero. So we talked about that. You want to go a little deeper, listen to the message last week, but we're going to continue on with that second question because it's so important, and I'll prove to you today why it's the second most important question. But first, love. Love's not a feeling. I know in today's culture, we think you know, that one can fall in and out of love, right? I mean, if I feel this romantic thing towards this person or this sense of endearment or, or you know, I feel like they're my really close friend or my brother or sister, I feel this way, therefore I must love them. And if I don't feel this way, therefore I must not love them. And that could not be further th from the truth because that line of thinking assumes that love is a feeling, but love is not a feeling. Love is an action or a set of actions. As a matter of fact, love is shown. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. Or you can follow along in your notes from realchurch.us. Click on that this Sunday thing. and It's just right there. It's just really cool. We like that. Can, can everybody see their Bibles? If you got your Bible, can you see it? Is it, you have a, is it? is it lit enough out there? Is the light bright enough? It's good to go? Yeah, this means yes, this means no. <laughs> okay, so 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. And you know what? I forgot to do something. I forgot it in the first service again, so I'm going to do it now. Bienvenidos um, por todos Latinos en el servicio. <laughs> Bienvenidos. Estoy aprendiendo español, pero necesito mucha práctica. Yes. Quiero predicar en español un día. <laughs> Dios te bendiga. Uh, basically, I just said, welcome to all the Latinos in, in, the, in the service. I'm learning Spanish. I'm going to preach in Spanish one day, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> so, no hay hora. <laughs> not now. So anyway, back to love. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Everybody say through him. So important. Check this out, verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. It says this, the Bible defines love. It says this is love. Love is self-sacrificing for another. It's laying down your wants, your dreams, your hopes. It's laying down who you are, how you feel in the moment. It's sacrificing yourself for another because you value that other person at least as much or maybe even more than you value yourself. That's love. It's an action. 
It's a self-sacrificial action. And check this out. The feeling of love follows the action of love. When we see someone else love us, when we see someone else lay down their life, sacrifice their hopes, their desires, their dreams, when we see that for us and we receive that, we allow it to penetrate our hearts, it produces more love in us. Why? Because we were created by our Creator to reproduce what we see. Let that sink in for a moment. Think about it. Your two-year-old, your three-year-old, your four-year-old, when they see mommy and daddy do something, it gives them permission to do it. We might not like that, but it, it does. We see them do something, and they reproduce that very action in their life. We say something, they see us, and they hear us say that thing, and they begin to say what we say. Why? Because we're created to reproduce what we see. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my Father in heaven doing it. I don't say anything unless I hear my Father in heaven say it. He was reproducing. His focus wasn't on me. His focus was on his Father in heaven reproducing what he saw, and he reproduced God everywhere. Isn't that awesome? We're created to reproduce what we see. So when we see someone else lay down their life for us, we reciprocate, we replicate, we do the same thing by laying down our life for them and for others. Let me explain. Let me give you a practical example from my life. I met my wife, Courtney. I met her, or I noticed her really for the first time when I was 11 years old. Sixth grade. Yes, one of those stories. She's awesome. Um, I was spending the night, Saturday night, at my friend's house, Dustin, and I asked him, hey, buddy, uh, what are we doing tomorrow? He said, we're going to church. I was like, okay. Are there any cute girls at your church? Yeah, I was 11. He said, yeah, there's one, and she's going to be singing. Went the next Sunday. There she was. She was singing. Ding, I like this girl. <laughs> About a year later, uh, we dated as much as a 12-year-old can date. For the first time for three weeks, I kissed her on the cheek at recess. She don't remember, but I did. Two years later, freshman year in high school, we dated again for three months. About three years later, we started dating. We dated for three and a half years, and I asked her to marry me my junior year in college. I was a young one. 20 years old. She was 21. We've been married for about 12 years now. It's amazing. Yeah. And that sounds great, except the first five years of our marriage were hell. I'm not even joking. It's not because of her, it's because of me. I didn't understand what love meant. I thought love was all about me and how I felt. I thought it was all about her meeting my needs. And if she wasn't meeting my needs, then I had to do whatever it took to get her to meet my needs because I didn't understand what it meant to love in a marriage. I was a Christian, I was, I was following Jesus, but I still didn't understand what it meant to, to be self-sacrificial. I hadn't yet seen that completely so it didn't reproduce that in my marriage and my wife she prayed for me every day she prayed God change him father change him change him help him to be the husband that he's supposed to be and that's a prayer but it's not the best prayer because five years later she began to change her prayer and she changed it completely she said she dropped on her knees and she began to pray in her closet father went from change him to father change me God, help me to be the best wife that I can possibly be. I didn't deserve that. I, wasn't, I was selfish. 
I was a punk. I didn't deserve that. And I made her life living hell because of it. And she began to pray anyway because she saw Jesus' love for her more clearly than I saw. She said, God, change me. Help me to love him, Lord God, as you love me. Because what Jesus loved us while we were still sinners, he gave his life for us. We didn't deserve that, but that's love. Self-sacrificial, even when they don't deserve it. God, help me change my heart. Make me the best wife that I can possibly be. When she started doing that, her actions, she began to love me in a way that I'd never seen before, and it penetrated my heart. It began to change me from the inside out, and I began to reproduce what I saw. Taught, my wife taught me to love. And now we have an amazing marriage. Six, last six, seven years been growing every single day in our understanding of what self-sacrificing means. This is biblical. I loved because she first loved me in our marriage. Check this out. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because he first loved us. Our capacity, our ability to love is a reflection of our understanding of his love for us. Let me put this into perspective. Because this is a big deal. Remember when Jesus said these words? He said, those who love me, obey my commands. Remember that? If you don't, he said that. <laughs> those who love me, obey my commands. But the church, Christians, and I did for so long too, get this completely backwards, right? You get saved, you come to know Jesus, you give your life to him, you're all excited. It's like this ooh and ah, oh my gosh, I'm born again. I have his love inside of me, so I want to do everything that I can to please my Father in heaven. Those who love me, obey my commands. Okay, so I'm going to obey, obey, obey his commands. What are his commands? I want to do the best that I can in order to obey his commands so that I can prove my love to him. Ever been there? Maybe you're there now. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can to obey. And you keep hitting, up a, hitting a wall over and over because no matter how hard you work to obey, you realize that you can't work hard enough because you always disobey when you're trying to obey. And you're like, oh, what a wretched person. What a, what a sick person I am. I'm trying to obey so hard, but I just keep hitting this wall. And eventually, you burn out and you just give up and say, you know, heck with it. And you, and you go on and then you run back to Jesus and then you go on and then you run back to Jesus and try to obey again and you go on. It's like this crazy cycle. You ever been there? Those who love me obey my commands. It's so backwards. And then you say, wait, maybe, maybe you, you grow past that and you say, wait a second, hold on. Those who love me obey my commands. So obedience flows out of love. So if my love grows, then my obedience will grow. So you find yourself then in another cycle. God, I want to love you more. I want to love you more. And you're just focusing. I want to make, I got to make my love for God grow more. How can I make my love for, and you squeeze and you try, no matter how hard you try and squeeze, you can't pop out more love in your own heart for God. And you find yourself saying, man, I wish I loved God more than I do, but I don't. Why? Because the focus is all you. I want to obey more. Where's the focus? Me. When you focus on me, what is that? Pride. Pride becomes, comes before what? Fall. That's what happens there. I want to love more. When you focus on I, where's the focus? Me. 
when you focus on me, that's what? Pride. Pride comes before a what? Fall. Check this out. First John 4.19. Here's the answer. We love because he first loved us. So we take the focus off of me and we put the focus on him and what he's done for us and how much he loves us and how much he loves in general. When we see that, we reproduce because we reproduce what we see. We reproduce that self-sacrificial love in our hearts. Next thing you know, our love is growing because we're not focusing on me, we're focusing on him. Our love's growing and those who love me obey my commands so our obedience naturally grows without the, all of the effort, because your, your effort is, is focusing on your Father in heaven and how much he loves you. That's pretty amazing. So take the focus off of you and put it on him. So now, we need to see how much he loves us. And that's what the rest of this message is focused on, so that we can see clearly who he sees us as, how he sees us, and how much he loves us, so that it will cause us to grow in our ability to love, which will cause us to grow in our obedience, which will make others see Jesus in and through us and change the world around us. Isn't that awesome? So how much does he love us? Well, Romans chapter 4. Let's start there. We'll get through as much as we can. Romans 4, hmm, verse 4 and 5. This is really cool. Now to the one who works, his wages, his payment, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. For example, let's pretend that you got a job as a bricklayer, okay? So you're laying bricks. And you contract it out for a day, 10 hours for $10 an hour. So after you get done laying bricks for 10 hours, you expect to get paid $100. 10 hours, $10 an hour, 10 times 10 is 100. It's math. <laughs> I was a math major. Okay, so <laughs> you lay these bricks, you, get, you expect to get paid. Is that payment of $100 to you, is that a gift or an obligation? He owes it to you. It's an obligation. You worked for that. Check this out. Verse 5. However, to the one who does not work, everybody say does not work. Interesting. To the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. Who is it that God justifies? Wow. So you're saying he doesn't justify those who think that they're good enough? He doesn't justify those that try hard enough to make it to him? Nope. That's religion. That's trying to climb your way in order to be good enough to make it to God, and that's not the gospel. That's religion. That's junk. He justifies the ungodly. He justifies those who recognize that they could never be good enough. They could never do it on their own. They say, God, I've got to the end of my rope. I can't do it anymore. I've tried this, and I've tried this. I'm tired of me. I realize that I could never be like you, so I give up. I give you my life because I'm ungodly. That's when God says, finally, you realize I love you. I've paid for you. You've been trying so hard. All you had to do was give me your life. And then he gives you his. What happens next? Their faith is credited as righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with him. That word credited, it's a Greek word. It means credited. <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's, 
it, it's an, an exact figure. It's a mathematical term, which I really like, because you can't say, I credited you five pennies, and then the next day say, no, it was six pennies, or no, it was four pennies. No, it's exact. It was five pennies. It's a done deal. That's to your account. Well, God, when you give up and you give him your life, he credits you an exact amount, righteousness, right standing with him forever. It's amazing, and it's wonderful. That's how much he loves you. It's what he did for you. And I get the feeling that there's people in here that have never given their life to Jesus. They've been working, you guys have been working maybe, by your own works in order to make it to God. And it's time to say, I haven't, I can't do it anymore. I'm tired and I'm ready to give you my life. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I want to give the opportunity. Because God is love, God is joy, and God is peace. And the only way to have that in your life is to give your life to him. And he gives you his love, his joy, and his peace. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is you and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, would you raise your hand right now? I see you, I see you, I see you. That's two. Anybody higher? Three, four. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. Anybody else? All right, let's all pray together. A prayer won't change you but you mean it with all your heart. You're making a connection with God and you're giving him your life and that will. Let's pray together. Everybody say, God, help me. Right now, I realize that I need you. I know you died for me and you gave your life for me. And you rose again so I could have your life. I've been a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you. I receive your forgiveness. Teach me to live for you. Teach me to know how much you love me. Amen. Four people gave their life to Jesus. That's kind of a big deal. Now I have good news. We're going to talk about the rest of the story. Check it out. Romans chapter 4, verses 7 to 8 says, Blessed is the person, and we talked about this last week, blessed is the person whose sin is never counted against them. That's you, you four. That's you, you people who have given your life to Jesus already. Your sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. Why? Because his blood is that powerful. His death is that powerful. It's not making light of what you've done. It's not making light of, of what you've been. But it's making much of who he is. And how good and how much he loves you. That's amazing. That gift, that's for everybody. It's a free gift for everybody. It's just waiting on people to receive it instead of rejecting it. Because many people reject it and die separated it because he already gave it, but they never receive it. So they never get the benefit of living in a relationship with God for eternity. So they spend eternity with what they wanted, separation from him. It's sad. But I got great news. Second most important question is, how righteous are you? How does Jesus see you? I want to dig in right there. Righteousness, right standing with God. 
you gave your life to Jesus, you're 100% in right standing with God right now because God's word says you are. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin, became sin for us. He died as your junk. He died as you on the cross so that in him, and you're in him right now, you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's amazing. You can rest in that. How important is righteousness? It's very important. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first, everybody, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Understanding righteousness is what you're supposed to understand first after you come to God. Romans 14, 17, And yet the church, and it, it hurts me, don't understand a lot of people, and I want you to know why it's so important. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, 14 verse 17, sorry. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of, kingdom of righteousness, of peace, and of joy. Think of those sequentially. First, it's a kingdom of right standing with him. When you're in right standing, righteousness, right standing with him, the war between you and him is over because God paid the price. Jesus paid the price for the war to be over. Therefore, you're at peace with God. And if you're at peace with God, then you can be at peace with man. No matter what the circumstance is, you can have an inner peace that changes the atmosphere of every situation. Wow. And then comes joy, because if you're at peace, then you have joy, because you're in right standing with him, and everything is amazing. <laughs> yeah, there might be suffering, there might be trials and hardship, but there's this relationship thing that you have with the creator of the universe that means, hey, we already won. God loves me, and therefore I can walk into this situation, these things that are going on, and have peace and joy in the midst of it, and people look at you and say, wow, how with all of that going on in your life, how are you the way you are, Jesus? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Here it is. This is why it's the second most important question. This is why understanding righteousness is so key. In fact, verse 12, by Hebrews 5, verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Who is it, question, who is it that needs milk and not solid food? Babies. Check this out. This is so key. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness, of right standing with God. Therefore, you have Christians who have been Christians for 20 years but are still infants because they're not acquainted with how in right standing with God they are. Therefore, everything they do is about them trying to prove themselves to him instead of understanding that they're, that they're already proved in him by Jesus. You can't grow to maturity. You can't grow in your ability to think about others instead of yourself because a baby, all they think about is I want what I need, what I want, feed me, feed me, feed me. But when you understand you're standing with him, you don't have to be all about you anymore because you're already proved in him. You can rest in that and think about helping to feed others. Let me prove it to you. And Isaiah brought some baggage. <laughs> that was a joke. In Isaiah chapter 28, 
verse 17. And if you're new to this whole thing, in the Old Testament, it just points to Jesus. All the metaphors, all the things, they just point to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. Isaiah 28, verses 17, let's see, 16 and 17. Verse 16, it says, So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a precious stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. What is a cornerstone? Back in the day when they would build something. You know, if you know the New Testament, the Bible says Jesus is our cornerstone, by the way. But back in the day when they would build something, the, the builders, they would chisel out of the rock they would chisel out a cornerstone first. They would make sure it's a perfect square, you know, perfectly fit because the more perfect, the more square, the more flat that it was, when they, they set it in the corner, they would build off of the cornerstone and the house, based on the sturdiness and the perfection of the cornerstone, would have a solid foundation for, a, for the future. So that when the rains came, the winds blew and beat against the house, the streams rose, it wouldn't fall with a great crash. It could stand tested, tried and true, because its foundation was on the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone of our lives. He's where we start. He's where the church starts. Everything is built in the church, his body off of the cornerstone. Now check this out. This is real. This is where it gets good. Verse 17. I will make justice the measuring line. Don't have time to talk about that today because there's a lot to pull out of that. But I want to focus on the next part. And righteousness, the plumb line. A plumb line. Where's my plumb line? There's a microphone somewhere. I just stole your mic. Got it. Testing. You might want to cut it. Mute it. A plumb line. <clears throat> in the day when they would set the cornerstone, you'd have a plumb bob, which is a weight at the end of the plumb line. They'd drop it down with a line. Once it stopped moving back and forth, they would make an X at the bottom and an X at the top. Because of gravity, they would have a perfectly vertical line in which to build off of. Plumb line. <laughs> okay? So now they have this perfectly vertical line when they set a stone on top of the cornerstone, if they set it in line with the plumb line, then it's perfectly fit, so there's, it's not leaning to the left or the right, so when storms come, when the winds blow, it doesn't fall back and forth, it stays sturdy, so they can build on a secure foundation off of the cornerstone. In our life, righteousness is the plumb line, the righteousness of Christ. Okay, we set, we have our cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and as we build, we build based on his righteousness, not on self-righteousness. It's based on his work in and through us, not our work. So therefore, everything we do is in line with the plumb line of his righteousness resting in him, and we're building works so we never have to fall. We can grow on to maturity. But here's the deal. That's not what usually happens because we don't understand righteousness. So what happens is, we start with the cornerstone, and then we think, just like in the beginning of the message, we think, oh, you know what? 
I should really start this. I should do this because it will make me look like a good Christian. I should go to church more because people will think I'm a good Christian. I should read my Bible more because it just makes me feel like, hmm, I'm making God more pleased with me, not realizing that he's already pleased with me because I'm his son and his daughter, but it's more self-righteousness. I'm going to be more religious. It's awesome. So I'm building in line with my own righteousness instead of with Jesus' righteousness as it's out of line with the plumb line. So I can say, oh, I should start this ministry. But God never told you to start that ministry. That's just so you could feel good about yourself. So, hmm, we're going to do that. I should, I should do this good thing or I should do that good thing. Instead of, and it's all about you and not about him. So you continue to do that. Next thing you know, you fall when the great crash. Because it was all about you. We don't have to do that anymore. We can rest in his goodness and move when he says to move. And as we do, we're building our life in line with his righteousness, resting in his goodness. And that way, when we fall, because we will fall, when we fall, we don't have to fall back and run in shame like Adam did, hiding. No, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because we're forgiven. So now, because we know we have a loving Father, instead of falling back, We see that he loves us and sacrificed for us so that we don't have to run from him when we fall anymore. We can run to him, so now we fall forward. We fall to Jesus. We fall into his arms. So when we screw up, we run to our Father in heaven and say, God, I screwed up. We don't have any fear because we know he loves us. God, I screwed up. I messed up. He says, son, that's not who you are. Just like he told the woman caught in adultery, people wanting Jesus to stone him all over, stone the woman all around. And he bends down and writes in the sand. When they all leave, he looks at the woman caught in sin. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, nowhere, sir. And he says the most beautiful words. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. It's the understanding of his grace, of his love, of his righteousness that he imparts to us, that enables us and empowers us to go and leave our life of sin. So when we screw up, we run to him, realizing that we're a son and a daughter, and we say, we screwed up, and he says, you're forgiven. Come on, let's go. Let's keep walking forward. Let's go in this sin no more. You screw up again. God, because when his love penetrates your heart, just like my wife's did for me, it changes you, and it makes you want to live for him, not have to out of religious, dumb obligation. Because you focused on him, so your love grows, therefore your obedience grows. And it's amazing. It's relationship. It's so good. God, help us to know you. So what? So what? Here's the so what factor. So what, preacher? What does that help me with this week? How does that practically help me in my life this week? A lot. You know the mark of maturity for a Christian? is how fast you get back up when you fall. Hmm. Because that means you understand your standing with him. Do you move forward when you fall or do you run and hide in shame? Because if you move forward, you're growing. So this week, I challenge you. Read the book of 1 John. It talks all about love. You're realizing your love for the Father. Pray. God, show me who you are. And then don't just read it to get through it. Read it to understand who he is. Pray, God, I want to know you more. 
Where's the focus there? It's on Him. I promise your heart will begin to change. The atmosphere of your house will begin to change. It will be amazing. I look forward to hearing testimonies. Thanks for listening to The Real Church Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or would like to get to know us, be sure to check us out on social media by searching Real Church Clearwater or visit us online at www.realchurch.us. If you'd like to play a part in what we're doing, you can do so right where you are. Your prayers are powerful and effective. You can also be a part through giving. Go to realchurch.us and click the Give button. Whether you're praying, giving, or serving with Real Church, you're playing a part in every life being changed. Thank you. Until our next podcast, be blessed. We'll see you next time.